You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Joseph was not the only one who knew that God was good, that God was sovereign, that with God there's no accident that takes place in the life of a believer. For example, Paul knew this when he wrote in the book of Romans in chapter 8. Here's another one of my favorite verses of scripture, probably one of your favorites as well. In verse 28 of Romans chapter 8, all things work together for good for those who love God and a call according to his purposes. Did you know there are numerous scriptures that reassure the livelihood of a Christian? God's sovereignty is all over the Bible, from Genesis to Revelations. God doesn't make accidents in the life of a believer in Jesus. What might seem like total haphazard is God working behind the scenes. He is working all things for the good of those that love him. Now the question becomes, How much do you love Him? Today, Pastor Mike encourages us to continue to trust in the Lord and see where the adventure takes us. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 50 as he continues his message, God meant it for good. years later, and they're still pricked in their conscience. They thought, maybe dad's dead. It's payback time. You know, maybe at least they're entertaining that thought, according to what's recorded there in verse 15. They thought maybe Joseph was waiting for dad to die, so to get even. And so they come with the argument, as I mentioned before, in verses 16 and 17, we don't even know if that was true or not. It's possibly that they fabricated that story. You know, Dad said, you know, forgive us for what we did, and for his sake, forgive them. We don't even know if Jacob said that. We don't have any indication anywhere else in the scriptures. And then notice in verse 18, they, they, they kneel before him. They humble themselves. In verse 18, we read, Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, that is Joseph, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And once again, they find to their relief, they find to their surprise that Joseph is entirely forgiving. Joseph reassures them, and thus what we have here is probably one of the greatest statements recorded for us anywhere in the scriptures, verses 19 through 21. It's one of my favorite texts of scripture anywhere in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. He responds, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. 
What a blessing. You know, I would, I don't know if I'd put it up right, you know, next to like John 3.16 or, you know, those kinds of verses of Scripture. But it happens to be one of my favorite texts of Scripture. Notice there in verse 20. You meant it for evil, but God intended it for good. Now, within that statement, I want to zero in on two little words. But God. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write that down. But God. Listen. Those two words make all the difference in the world. I'll give you a cross-reference for this. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, in verses 1 through 5, and Paul there is addressing the subject of conversion, salvation, and God's love. It's actually a picture in contrast. He reminds us of what we were before Christ in our B.C. days, and now what we've become in Christ, right? after our conversion experience and coming to salvation through faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, And you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. That is, spiritually dead. We've been made alive now unto the things of the Spirit, unto the things of God. Isn't that a blessing? Think about that. And that's exactly why a person needs to be born again that we might be awakened to spiritual truths. Listen, if you make a connection, you sit in a service like this on a Sunday morning or whenever you come into the house of God, and you make a connection with whatever the preacher is preaching or you're driving in your car and you're listening to Chuck Smith on the radio or Greg Laurie or any of the guys that we're affiliated with, and you make a connection with that, the only explanation is to put God behind it. He's opened you up to spiritual things. You've been born again of the Spirit of God. It's an absolute necessity. You know, how is it that you put two people alongside of one another? Here's someone who's born again of the Spirit of God, who's had a conversion experience, who knows Christ as his personal Lord and Savior, and here's someone that that same person, who is the believer, brought along with them to the service, and they're sitting in that seat for the first time. They've never been exposed to Christianity, They've never even contemplated the idea that the teaching of the Word of God might even be relevant to life's experience. The one person who is the believer is soaking up the message like a sponge, and the other person is just going whoosh, right over there, whoosh, right over their head, whoosh, right over their head, right? How do you explain that? You have to put God behind it. It's a God thing. God intervened. God stepped in. Isn't that true of all of us who, in fact, have gone through that conversion experience? But this is what he's doing. He's made us alive to spiritual things in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Actually, we were meandering. It was sort of like hitting and missing, bouncing off of walls, right? There was no stability within our lives. Think about it. We went from one experience to another. You know, I think of my own life's experience and my pursuit to want to find the meaning to life and truth. And by the way, that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. And that's one of the reasons why I'm entertaining teaching that book. Because, you know, the title of that series could be A Quest for Truth. And I think that's so very, very important. A Quest for Truth. And wasn't that Solomon's pursuit? So anyway, just a shout out for the book of Ecclesiastes. But in which you once walked according to the course of this world. We were meandering, bouncing off of the walls. In my pursuit to know the truth, I traveled many corridors, many roads, LSD, studying Hatha Yoga, studying under Swami Satchidananda. 
living in an ashram out in L.A., living in a commune up in the mountains in Santa Barbara. Oh, man, you know, lots of different roads. Studying the Bhagavad Gita and, you know, just all kinds of things. Eastern thought, mysticism, and, you know, been there, done that, believe me. And I'm so thankful that God, in his mercy, I think he really knew my heart. Not that I think, I know he knew my heart. And it became his responsibility to reveal the truth to me. I was actually, honestly, seeking the truth. Truly wanted to know God. And I believe that that was the, the very thing that moved the hand of God and his revealing his son Jesus Christ to me. But anyway, you can all relate to this. According to the prince of the power of the air. So who's the one that's pulling the strings? Who's the one that's banging the drums that we're marching to? It's the devil. The prince of the power of the air. That's just another way to describe who he is. The spirit who now works in the sense of not obedience, but disobedience. You see that? You know, people are taken captive at his will, the Bible tells us. Anyway, let's go on, verse 3. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. That's the way we lived our lives. It was just all about the lusts and the desires of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But thank God, verse 4. There you go. Who said that? You got it, man. I went a long way to make this point. But he's listening. But God. I'm so thankful. You should actually be sitting in the front row. Next time you come, make sure you sit in the front row. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Praise the Lord. And then verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, spiritually dead, in our trespasses and our sin, made us alive together. We've been born again, right? We've kicked into that third dimension, the dimension of the spirit. No longer are we just body and soul, but now we're body, soul, and spirit. More importantly, actually, invert that. Soul, spirit, and body last. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Praise the Lord, right? And so those two words, but God, make all the difference in the world. You see, God stepped in. God stepped into Joseph's life. And when God steps in, folks, guess what? He changes everything. Now, what were the things that God changed in Joseph's life? How did God turn those things around? Well, with Joseph, think about it. First of all, his brother's Jealousy, their sibling rivalry, their hatred, their betrayal, his being sold into slavery, purchased by Potiphar. Potiphar's wife had longing eyes for Joseph, daily seeking to seduce him when he wouldn't give in. Finally, she claims that he attempted to rape her. He's falsely accused. He's falsely thrown into prison without a fair hearing. And then while he's in prison, remember, he interprets the dreams of his friends of his, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, but they forget him. Remember, he encouraged them, listen, when you get out, you know, make sure you remember me to to Pharaoh and what I was able to accomplish. But they forgot him. Two years had passed. And they absolutely forgotten Joseph. So think about that. The difficulties, the struggle, how dark it was for Joseph. 
But then all of a sudden, God stepped in. But God. So what gave Joseph the grace to be able to make this statement that's recorded for us there in verse 20? Not be angry, not be vengeful, you know, not seek to kill his brothers. What does he say? He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Exactly what was it that enabled Joseph? What gave Joseph the grace to be able to make that statement? Simply, Joseph knew God. And that makes all the difference in the world. He knew, first of all, that God is sovereign. Do you know that God is sovereign? That nothing comes into our lives that hasn't first been approved by him? You see, as a child of God, God has set his hedge about you. And remember the conversation between Satan and God, as recorded for us in the first chapter in the book of Job, when the sons of men, that's just another way to describe the angels, were presenting themselves to God. And God decided that he was going to brag on his servant Job. And Satan says, yeah, you know what? Uh, the only reason why he serves you is because you continue to bless his life. Remove the blessings from him and he'll, he'll curse you. So he says, yeah, well, go ahead. He says, I can't touch him. Why not? Because you, this is what the devil had said to God, you have set your hedge about him. And so it is with all of God's children. God has set his hedge of protection, his hedge of love around you. And thus, God is sovereign. Folks, let me tell you something. There's nothing that will ever go on in your life. If you made that decision for Christ, if you become a child of God, if you're born again of the Spirit of God, numbered as one of his children, nothing, nothing, God will not allow anything to come into your life that hasn't been first approved by him. And we need to know that. It's just one of the perks about being a child of God. So if you're ever wrestling with the question, does it really pay you know, to know God, to serve God, to walk with God? You bet it does. But then secondly, not only did Joseph, which enabled him to make this statement, this claim, that God was sovereign, Joseph also knew that there is no accidents in the life of a believer. There's no accidents. There's no such thing as luck in the life of a believer. We're never left to some statistics, you know, what's going on in other people's lives. Never affect us in the same way. It never just comes down to that. It's not a roll of the dice or, or chance. It's, you know, there's real focus and direction within our lives. There's no accidents in the life of a believer. We're never just some statistic. But then also, Joseph was able to make this claim, this statement, because also he knew that God is good. And therefore, whatever is going on in his life, he knew that it was for his benefit and not for his harm. Notice what he says there in verse 20. He said, God meant it for good in order to bring it about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. His family would have perished in the land of Canaan if God hadn't orchestrated all of the details that went on that elevated him to that place of prime minister in Egypt during that particular time on the face of the earth. It was through those unusual series of circumstances that his family were 
preserved. You see that? That's the bigger picture. Was it difficult? Yeah, you bet it was. Joseph is, you know, he's subject to feelings and human emotions just like you and I. Did he ever question what God was doing or allowing to go on in his life? I suspect he did, even as we do at times. The best of us have lapses of faith, don't we, at times? When things get really tough, when it's hard to see the end from the beginning, right? God has the ability to be able to see down the road and around the corner, and we only see the things unfolding before us in the immediate, right? Our perspective most of the time is just temporal kind of a thing. We're, you know, present. And, but God, you know, sees things down the road and around the corner, and he only has that. But the Bible tells us that we spend our days as a tale that's been told. It's like a rerun with God, you know, even as it unfolds daily before our very eyes. You know, here's a precious, here's a precious promise in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. There Jeremiah says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope to bring you to an expected end. That's the love of God for you. That's the expectation that each and every one of us can have. God is good. You see that? And let me tell you something. Joseph was not the only one who knew that God was good, that God was sovereign, that with God there's no accident that takes place in the life of a believer. For example, Paul knew this when he wrote in the book of Romans in chapter 8. Here's another one of my favorite verses of Scripture, probably one of your favorites as well. In verse 28 of Romans chapter 8, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Now, think about that statement. All things? Are we talking about absolutely all things work together for good? Does all things really mean all things? Anybody? Yes, okay. But come on, haven't you wrestled against that question before? Come on, be honest here. Let's get a good dose of reality here. Haven't we? All things? We're not quite sure about all things, but that would include your family. Think about some of the things that you're going through right now with your family. I mean, you know, if you're a parent, your kids are putting you through the ringer, as so often our kids do, right? It's difficult. How about your education? How about employment? Oh, boy, that's a big one. You're working for an unruly boss who's taking advantage of you, right? So how about your employment? Or maybe the lack of employment. Maybe you lost your job altogether. Where you live. You're battling with that. Where you go to church, your body is breaking down. Even your body breaking down, you mean God can use that for good? Yeah, he can use it to get your attention. Boy, is he getting my attention, let me tell you something. Everything is absolutely used for good without any exception. Do you know this? Honestly, do you know this? Well, it has to be seen at times through the eyes of faith. And it is based on the character of God, who reveals himself as both sovereign, benevolent, and loving. Now, it's at this point where someone may be thinking, listen, Pastor Mike, you don't know my situation. This might be true about uh, goody two-shoes over there, but not me. Are you telling me this principle of God overruling, ruling, and overruling all that happens to us for our own benefit? 
this couldn't possibly extend to cover deliberate sin in all instances. What about when we sin? Aren't we just getting our just deserves? You know? Can God even use the poor choices that we made and turn them around and use them for our benefit? Is God big enough to do that? You tell me. Yes, he is. Let me give you the greatest example of evil and God turning it around for the greatest good. Forget about Joseph here for a moment and all of the terrible things that happened to him only to preserve his family during the seven years of famine. How about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? And remember Joseph, when we were first introduced him, I suggested to you that he actually prefigures Christ. Think about it. Think of the parallels between the two. He was hated by his brethren, even as Christ was hated by the Jews, the very ones to whom he came to save. He was innocent of wrongdoing. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, in verse 21, the Bible tells us there that he became sin for us who knew no sin. He was innocent of wrongdoing. Cruel men poured out their wrath upon him, even as they did Joseph. He was unjustly arrested. He was tried. He was convicted. And then finally, he was killed without mercy. Never in the history of the world has a greater evil been done. And yet from the greatest of all evils, and again, think about the parallel between Joseph and Jesus. I mean, Christ's suffering, his experience, far exceed the abuse that was inflicted upon Joseph, yes, and God brought forth the greatest possible good. Salvation was made available through him to all mankind. Listen, for all who have come to that cross, who understand its meaning, our testimony is there's no limitation to God's providence. We can legitimately say we know in all things God works for those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And so, when people conspire against us to do us harm, who actually go as far to inflict wounds upon us, born of cruel hatred or indifference, we will not call their evil good. I'm not going to call their evil good, but nevertheless, I'm going to testify that because of a sovereign, benevolent, loving God, our God, their evil will not succeed. And myself, along with Joseph, can say, God, you meant it for evil, but God meant it. And so may God help us to see life from his side, from his perspective, the bigger picture, to understand his providence, his sovereignty, and thus experience his goodness as well. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. Oh, my when something gets close to an ending, we naturally turn our attention to the beginning. When a child is about to graduate, we look at baby pictures. When a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death, we go over the story of how we met. When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, we remember the first times we walked in the door. And as we draw close to the end of days, 
it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures, day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await His return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcasts. That's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time here in my father's house.